Welcome to The Art of Listening, a podcast about classical music, conducting, composition, the business of music, and how to listen at all. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and with me as always is Gabriel Gordon. Gabe, how are you today? Welcome to The Art of Listening. Oh, thanks so much, Jeff. I'm doing great today. How you doing? I- I'm doing fantastic. The weather is getting warmer, and I have been noticing that there's a lot more going on in the world of classical music, especially over on your channels. What's going on over today at GabrielGordon.net? Yeah, so I am doing a series of education videos uh, going through all of the Wolfhart etudes. Uh, There are 30 of them. I believe I'm up to number 10 on there, so you should check those out. Uh, as well, um, I just published uh, the Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, a, a new version of that on my channel. There's a lot of great things going on. And today I am excited because we have a guest on the show today, somebody who uh, has a lot in common with some of the things that we've done in the past. He is a Madamic alum. He is the conductor of an amazing symphony out in Colorado. And, you know, Gabe, we're going to talk today all about not just what it takes to be a conductor, how to be a conductor, but how an orchestra can survive during the pandemic. That's something that you've been also working on um, out in Ogden. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you've got going on with the Camerata. Yeah, so I decided to start a youth symphony in the middle of the pandemic. Um, It's called the Ogden Camerata. And uh, we, you know, we've made sure that everybody has stayed safe. Nobody has gotten sick. Uh, in the orchestra, and uh, it's a a remarkable string group. We've been doing some incredible repertoire, Beethoven, uh, Opus 195 String Quartet, as well as uh, the Mahler Adagietto, and we've we've done uh, two world premieres this season. That's pretty amazing. How do people find out more information about that? So you can go to our Facebook page, uh, Ogden Camerata, and uh, very soon you'll be able to go to our website, OgdenCamerata.com. And of course, we want to say thank you guys for checking out this and all of the shows over at the Art of Listening podcast. You can find it over on Gabe's website, GabrielGordon.net. Our guest today is in his third season as music director of Colorado's 53-year-old Longmont Symphony Orchestra. I want to bring on today a very good friend of ours, Mr. Elliot Moore. Elliot, welcome to The Art of Listening. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. It's so great to be with both of you gentlemen. Thanks for having me. It's so good to have you here. And of course, we're talking today all about music, conducting. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, I was born in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, my mom is a professional pianist and she, let's see, my sister was, is a couple of years older than me. And so, uh, my s- mom gave my sister the violin, which meant that for us to have a piano trio, I was the designated cellist. Uh, so, so that was actually how I started in music was just playing cello with kind of the family piano trio. And, um, boy, there was a lot of cello studies throughout, um, you know, my, my studies. But at the end of the day, um, I got into conducting and felt that that was much more of a calling for me, what I could do kind of with music, um, especially for a community. And so I was thrilled um, to be able to really begin conducting and and eventually to to get um, a job where I have the opportunity to impact the community through music. That's really kind of where my passion lies. So um, that's the short version. (laughs) Yeah, right. 
And do you remember that first time you kind of looked at an orchestra or or said, I want to be a conductor? That kind of interests me where you sit in a rehearsal and saw you it, know, you felt it. What was that moment like? You know, it's a very interesting story, actually. The place where I really um, like where it really grabbed me was at a place called the Sewanee Summer Music Festival. And it just so happened that the conductor I was 12 years old and the conductor was a man by the name of Kenneth Kiesler. And so I was 12 years old. I was, it was a combined orchestra. I think there were something like 32 cellists in this gigantic orchestra. And I remember some of the things that he's talked about. And I thought, oh my gosh, like this is something I really want to do. Orchestra, yes, but also conducting. It was, it, it just struck me as, well, rather also he struck me as being somebody who really had kind of elevated thought and a way of thinking that I hadn't been exposed to. And so, um, of course, fast forward, I don't know, something like, you know, almost 20 years, I wound up going and studying with Kenneth Kiesler at uh, the conductor's retreat at Madomic. And so that was a very transformative experience for me when I was 12. And then, of course, to get to know him much later in life. Um, and of course, he was one of the people that really helped me become sort of the musician that I am today. So I'm tremendously grateful to him for that. Yeah, as, as he was really for for all of us, I would say, uh, just going going to the conductor's retreat um, kind of puts us in, in a bit of a club, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it, it really does put us in a club, I think in some ways, because it's such a challenge, you know, it's there, we, we've all been challenged there. And, and we've all gone through these like learning processes where we don't know what we don't know and then we start learning and then we start achieving and then we achieve greater success but that process is not a smooth one nor is it a straight line you know and that's kind of the learning process is it's not a straight line from here to there um it really takes uh you know it's a challenge and so yeah, i think that's one of the i think that's one of the things that binds us all together is we've all sort of gone through that challenge so well, for those who are confrontational, isn't it? I mean, the, uh, you know, who you are um, off the podium is also who you are on the podium is also who you are off the podium. And he talks a lot about that. And it's really, you know, something that, you know, you're looking inward during those sessions at Madomic for sure. So if anybody's listening out here and is interested, of course, we're talking about the Conductors Retreat at Madomic. Uh, you can find more information over at ConductorsRetreat.org. And let's just kind of talk about this. I mean, the Conductors Retreat, we've all been there multiple years. Um, it is an, a, an, an event that happens every single summertime up in Maine. And it's pretty awesome. Talk to us a little bit, Elliot, about uh, Maestro Kiesler here. I mean, he's obviously affected all of us and, and still is, even though I, we haven't, I haven't talked to Ken in many, many years. But what were your best memories of Madomic? Boy, I don't even know where to begin. Um, <laughs> you know, some of my some of the great memories are um, how uh, you can get you know, a bunch of conductors in one room and how you can create a community of people that are supportive. I think that the the public thinks of conductors as being these very individual types. I mean, I'm the only music director of the Longmont Symphony. You know, I don't have, you know, staff conductors kind of behind me. And so we're kind of these individual types. 
and some people would say type A people, but to get all of these people together and to make them into a team um, was, but yet we're all leaders at the same time. You know, it's not just a bunch of followers, but it's a bunch of leaders that all come together to help one another. How he was able to structure that to me was incredible. Um, and I'll never forget the first three days um, and, and about putting the focus on other people rather than putting the focus on yourself. And when you put the focus and the intentionality on doing something good for other people, often something good in return comes back and we don't always know what that is. And, and of course, I think that that's, um, you know, in some ways a metaphor for how a conductor needs to be with an orchestra. If we put ourselves first, we really don't get anything in return. But when we put um, our musicians first, or when we put our community first, or when we put the music first, whenever we do those kinds of things, all of a sudden music becomes more important to everyone's lives. And, and so I, I don't know, I think that all the kind of the metaphors that I learned from Adamic, such as that one, um, really has been a help, a help in my life, whether it be with my family, um, whether it be, of course, with music making or impacting, um, you know, students' lives here um, in the Longmont region in Colorado. Sorry, Jeff, that's a long answer for just one thing, but <laughs> but but it's so true. There, there's so many things about that, and whether you're a conductor, a musician, or or not, um, you know it goes through conducting skills. It goes through oral skills. It goes through physical skills. And I, I believe it was uh, Jerry uh, who always told us, you know, hands like feet, you know, put your hands down, make sure that you're on the back of your heels. Right. As somebody who gives professional development, as somebody who's in the front of the classroom teaching, I think about that often um, when I get nervous, when I start a presentation, I thought about that when I put my TED talk together, like just standing there and being present in front of a group of people. There's so many things about about Madomic and about conducting that are not about Madomic and about conducting. that just kind of our well, life lessons. Well, Gabe, you how know, about so you? Go ahead. Well, I was going to say really quickly, yeah. one of the things that and Gabe, you and I were speaking about this a little bit kind of before we, we started recording. Yeah. But being authentic, being real. And I think that a lot of, especially young conductors, you know, they've, they've watched these videos and they're kind of trying to be like somebody else. But to be yourself and to be vulnerable up there on the podium is, um, that's a very pow powerful experience for all the musicians. But it also allows us to be ourselves. And that's so critical because I don't think anyone wants to see Elliot more acting like Leonard Bernstein. They just want Elliot Moore because Leonard Bernstein was so great as himself. So to be real and authentic while you're, you know, doing eight trillion different things, conducting, listening, hearing all these things, reacting, responding, rehearsing, uh, you know, that is a critical thing for a young conductor to learn. And he's able to do it. He's able to teach that in such a, an amazingly uh, organized and powerful way. You and Eight, I were at, you and I were together at the tenth episode, wasn't it? Were we were you there for Beethoven nine? Uh, no, I think I came the following year, maybe. When were what were what were your best memories there, Gabe? Oh, it, like Elliot, where do I begin? You know, the <laughs> uh, really, I I would say my my very first time actually is is a memory. It, 
<laughs> I don't know if I would call it a best memory, but I remember getting up there and being in front of this master teacher, uh, you know, Ken, of course, and, and uh, 40 other conductors. I literally couldn't stop my hand from shaking. I, I, I was just kind of staring at it saying, I'm, I'm completely involuntarily shaking my hand. <laughs> There's nothing I can do about it. Um, and then actually of, of just a few sessions later, it was Brahms 4. I'll never forget it. Ken told me to close my eyes. Uh, he said, you know what, Gabe, you know the score. That's obvious. Um, just close your eyes. And, you know, I would say probably we, we all call it, you know, different things, um, you know, a madamic moment or something like that. Uh, when um, I closed my eyes and it was actually the first time I was able to visualize the score um, in front of me um, and as well as the individuals there and Ken let me conduct and you guys know he, he never lets people do this. He let me conduct without saying anything all the way uh, to the recap recapitulation in the first movement, a really, really long time. And uh, then finally he had a stop, had, had me stop and, and he said something. He said, you know what, you really discovered something there. And he went on to be very complimentary and the whole room just erupted after that. It was just an amazing, it made me, it made me realize that this was something really that, that I could do, that I could do well, as a matter of fact. And it was an incredible, like Elliot was saying, supportive atmosphere. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things about Madamic that, that we all share is not only just the experiences that we've had, but we've also wanted to pass those experiences on. I mean, um, in, in this relationship here, Gabe went and said, you need to go experience this. You need to go try it. For me, I know I've had students in that I've worked with and I've done those kinds of things that never went to Madamic. But I mean, we've done those e exercises and things. Elliot, you've obviously worked with Ken um, on a number of levels. How have you been able to pass on what you've learned at Madamic to others? Wow. <clears throat> there are times in rehearsals where I will um, change the orchestra up, where we'll change orchestra seatings so that we can all listen and respond better to one another. Um, and then I would also just say that there's a general level of being, sort of who I am with the orchestra, how I listen to them, how I listen to their needs. And those kinds of things um, have all, they're just all sort of part of what I took from Madomic. And then it allows me to be somebody who's receptive, somebody who is caring on the podium, somebody who, um, I don't know, I, I think that there's, there are just these ways that now I am, as opposed to I'm posturing or I'm trying to do something. There's an openness of spirit that, that I am able to um, engender in the orchestra. And also, um, you know, there, there was something that, um, Gabe, you, you started talking about when you first arrived at Madomic, and that, that reminded me, when I first arrived at Madomic, yeah. I was um, introduced with a sheet, and the sheet said, um, I commit to. Right. And, and it reminds me of, of, well, what are we actually committed to? Uh, one of the things that, you know, I'm really committed to here is transforming our community through music. And to that end, 
uh, even just today, actually, I was published in the local newspaper um, about talking about a, a new concert hall that we're trying to build here, you know, a multi-million dollar concert hall. And, and, and being committed to something, um, of course, musically, yes, but also to transforming our community through music. And what does that mean? What does that look like? In part, that looks like staying up late writing articles um, that are going to be published, you know, so that you can actually have that impact. And music can have that impact in the community. So all of these are just different ways that, that I feel like I've, I've taken that, that lesson from Adamic and I've applied them to, uh, to my life here at the Longmont Symphony. So, yeah, in, in my particular case, yeah, you know, scrambled orchestra is one of the things that I really love to do, especially with kids. I'll, I'll never forget being in Albuquerque. I was music director of the Albuquerque Youth Symphony for many years. And, uh, you know, telling them, uh, yes, we're going to uh, we're, we're going to perform uh, the Candide Overture, uh, you know, and, and you the rule is, is that nobody gets to sit where they were sitting before and you don't get next to you don't get to sit next to anybody that you've ever sat next to before and i always used to set up the chairs i would get there probably about 45 minutes early and set up all the chairs and i i i love looking at the students faces as they come in <laughs> like what is this? what is this <laughs> exactly and uh, and then explain to them and say by the way um you're going to do all of this with no conductor because guess what you don't need one and uh the transformation that occurs in their own playing and in themselves is every single time I do it is just wonderful to behold. Um, and yeah, I mean, just kind of elaborating on what uh, you were talking about, Elliot, uh, I would say that every single rehearsal that I ever and every single concert uh, lends itself to something that I learned at Madonna. No two ways around it. You know, one of the one of the main things that that I do actually before a performance that, of course, uh, we probably have all we probably all do. And we all got from Ken is this idea of emptying out. Right. Yeah. You take whatever is going on in your life, you empty it out, you become vulnerable, you fill up with the music and you, then you kind of let the music begin to resonate in you, through you. And then you share the music. And that's such a powerful it's a powerful image but it's one that is so helpful right before you go to conduct and and of course that's something that we all got from adamic and that i you know worked a lot with ken on uh while i was doing my graduate work yeah and you know there's so many times in our lives that we have so many different things going on i mean whether it's moving or a pet dying or a pet peeing on your carpet, you know, I mean, there, there are things that happen right. and, and we have to really be present for the music. And it's hard to be present for the music when you've got all these thoughts, all these, you know, kind of your mind is racing with other things. And, and that's something that, that I think has been very helpful to me in terms of just being present to the music is that sort of exercise of emptying out, becoming vulnerable, filling up with the music and sharing the music. One of the things that I always take away was that 10th year where we did Beethoven 9. And um, 
at the end of Medomic, they always put all 40 some conductors together. One big, huge concert. Every conductor gets like two pages of music and you just do the entire concert, one conductor after each other. It's always interesting to see how the orchestra changes oh, yeah. um, as you go through. And I remember that year I wanted to uh, to kind of test myself. So I was the one that started off the ninth and I did that for two reasons. One, just because I wanted to get it done and over with, but also too, I wanted to experience everything both from the front of the orchestra and then run around to the back and be in the chorus for the end. And I'll never forget that because in the middle of the concert, it just opened up and poured. So here you are in a barn in the middle of Maine with all of these people and it's hot and you got professional musicians from all up and down the East coast. And it was an amazing experience. And I take that and I bring that into where I am now as a, as a professional development leader, as a school leader. And we're creating all of these great things where you're creating like one professional development segment off out of working with six or eight different uh, coaches in my case. And you've all got to make sure that you get from the first measure to the end measure. And it's all got to be the same. But depending on what coach is there. The group looks different. The sound looks different, but it's still Beethoven. It's still, how do we do that? And there's a lot of things that I've taken back from all of that stuff. And I don't know if this has happened in your guys, but I remember Ken at the end of that concert, this is where the new, the, this is where the new logo came in. He opened up a, a box and all these doves came out. And of course, when the doves come out, they're all flat, you know, they're all going in different directions. And then after a couple seconds, they all find each other and they're all in the same direction. They all turn at the same time. And I always thought that was wonderful, but that's no different than all of our conductors doing the same thing. That's no different in my current world of all of our coaches came in running in different directions, but now they're running in the same direction. They're, you know, they're talking the same, they're thinking the same, they're moving the same, they're coaching the same. But uh, there's a lot of neat things about Madomic. Um, as we wrap up this segment here, um, yeah. Gabe, we'll kind of start with you and, and, and we'll move to Elliot. But um, recommendations, if anybody's interested in going to Madomic, the, you know, g- give the quick 30 second commercial for Madomic here. Yeah, uh, there is nothing like learning your craft in nature. And the, that, that's one of the really special things about going to the conductor's retreat. Notice that it's, it's not a seminar, it's not a, uh, a competition, it's the conductor's retreat at Madomic. And I think that's really important to remember. It's a place for you to contemplate, it's a place for you to be confronted with um, all of your stuff. Um, and you come out of it uh, a really a different person and a different conductor. I couldn't recommend it more. You know, one of the things that a lot of, especially young conductors, um, think about is, well, podium time. How much podium time is there? Right. And one of the things, and I, and I, by the way, had gone to other conducting master classes. And of course, that was the big thing, podium time, podium time. However, at Madomic, it wasn't about the podium time, even though I certainly found that there was plenty of podium time. It was about learning. And the quality of the learning is so expanded from anything that I personally had experienced that even if there's maybe a little bit less podium time than some other place, what you've gained from Madomic 
is so it's so much more than I ever learned from any other or or saw from any other conducting master classes that I recommend Madamic to virtually every single conductor that I've ever met. Sometimes, you know, they're they're older and they're very experienced and sometimes they're just complete beginners. But what they can all get from all of those, you know, what every person at every level can gain from Madamic is it's almost beyond words because it's a transformative experience. How do you explain you can be transformed in a, you know, three week approximately, um, you know, retreat. So um, I I believe that everyone, uh, almost everyone that I've ever um, worked with, I I recommend it because it's such an incredible transformative experience. Yeah, you know, talking about podium time real quick, uh, you know, sometimes with the amount of people there, you get only five to seven minutes of podium time. And something I remember saying to Jeff at the first time, guess what? It's going to be the longest five minutes of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Though you do conduct every other day, generally speaking. So, um, so, so everyone is getting those, you're, you're constantly kind of going and, and, but you're watching everyone, everyone's going through these, you know, again, the, this learning curve and you're applying everything to yourself because of how it's structured. Right. So um, it's it's again it's just an amazing experience where I think we've all obviously had life changing experiences there. I would love to get more Madama conductors on the show and just have them talk about that first, second, third, fourth, and seventh emotional breakdown that they've had at Madama because <laughs> we've all had them. We all go through them constantly. Somebody might be reliving his right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Talking today to Elliot Moore all about the art of music, the art of listening, the art of conducting all these great things. And and Elliot, one of the things that we've been talking about on the show over the last couple of weeks is auditions. Um, do you remember your first conducting audition? Boy, um, you know, I, it's interesting. I, it took me forever to get an audition. Um, <laughs> and and when when I did, I actually got three all at the same time. Um, for three different orchestras um, in three different states. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> and it was kind of over one season. Um, and I'm very happy how things obviously turned out. I love the, the Longmont Symphony. Um, I will say that, you know, the, the process um, in some ways is a challenging one, in part because it's so long. Um, if I take the Longmont Symphony as an example, um, I applied and 18 months later, they told me that I got the job. Wow. So, and I think it may have been even a month or two later that I actually technically, um, you know, started. So I was named music director and then it took a couple of months before I actually technically began, but it's a very long process. And, uh, one of the things that I noticed was, um, because I was, you know, going through this with two other orchestras. I noticed that the orchestra that was really the most um, organized and and could tell that, you know, I was up for this job here and I was up for this job here and they needed to, you know, move if they wanted to get the music director that they wanted. Um, that that was a very good thing from their end was being well organized, being very um, intentional about the dates that they're choosing, when they choose to let music, you know, the music director candidates know um, that was a very wise choice that the Longmont Symphony did in terms of how they structured their audition process. 
So hats off to the Longmont Symphony and the committee for for their uh, you know organization of that. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, I the other two positions, one I didn't was I, I became I was uh, they asked me to be music director, um, but I wasn't able to work out my scheduling with the Longmont Symphony and them. And the other group said that they wanted to, they knew that I was uh, moving away and that they wanted me to be living there and uh, that they didn't want me commuting in. And so that uh, also didn't work out. So, um, but anyway, that, that was my story, at least part, part of my story in terms of um, the audition process. Um, and of course, there, I suppose there are a lot of other things I can talk about, like repertoire. Mm-hmm. Uh, my gosh, you know, the repertoire that you choose you really that's your first um that's your the first statement that you make to the orchestra is what repertoire am i going to choose um what guest soloist am i going to invite how do i and and to the to the you know the board and the committee one of the things that they're looking at is well can he work within a budget or can she of course work within a budget so that comes down to you know guest artist that comes down to you know repertoire and and having an understanding of of how you put these things together and because it's the first real statement you know artistic statement that you make you better get it right you know it needs to reflect who you are it needs to reflect what the orchestra either can do or needs to learn um it needs to you know coalesce the community there are all these things that maybe three or four pieces can do What I mean is how you put together three or four different pieces, not that there are only three or four pieces that you can choose. But, um, you know, it's a very important um, first choice that you have. And then once you've made that choice, of course, there are things like, well, how do you structure structure the rehearsal schedule? Did you choose the right repertoire so that you can actually have time to rehearse everything? Or are you going to start running out of time? And then, of course, comes down to the nuts and bolts. Well, now that you're in front of the orchestra and you're rehearsing with them and you're preparing for a concert, are you able to, of course, get everyone on the same page? Um, are you able to make the music about something greater than you know everyone there? Are you able to coalesce the orchestra, the sound? How do you differentiate between, let's say, classes, you know, a, a classical work versus a romantic work, or a romantic work from the Russian period versus, you know. Um, I don't know, a French work, right? How do you do all of these things? Um, And I think that those are things that the orchestra, they're really looking for, they're really interested. And then at the end of the day, it's almost like none of that stuff mattered because you get to the concert. (laughs) And when you get to the concert, is there magic? You know, can you turn it on? Does everyone feel that vibe in the room that's like, you know, energetic and, and, and the the room is pulsating because the music is so intentional and so you know brought to life. So all of these different things matter, but they matter at different times and, and it's beginning to shape what the orchestra thinks of you and how they, they can imagine going in a direction with you. So sorry, Jeff, again, that very long answer. I, I hope that- <laughs> That's awesome. But you have yeah, your- what are your, what are your thoughts? I'm curious from both of you. Gabe? Well, yeah. So my my experience was 
uh, kind of the same as yours, Elliot. I had I had a year <laughs> where uh, I just got uh, you know a bunch of opportunities. I, I I had made it to the to the finals of the Atlanta Symphony um, Associate Conductors um, audition, um, and uh, and then uh, there were just a bunch of positions that opened. Uh, both uh, for violin and for conducting uh, in Albuquerque all at the same time, four positions that opened. And uh, similarly, uh, I actually was able to accept three of those positions. And the fourth position uh, basically heard that <laughs> that I had I'd gotten the other ones and said, yeah, you're going to be too busy, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, it, it kind of kind of an amazing experience and i said well i guess i'm moving to albuquerque um, and uh it's it's a long process and no i would say necessarily long in in many cases choosing a music director for the uh real the literal direction of your of of your organization is probably one of the most primary things a board can do uh, and in my particular case, the Albuquerque Youth Symphony program had been led uh, by Dale Kempter for over 45 years at that point. So they were going to take their time <laughs> choosing the next person. And at the same time, I, you know, again, it was a, you know, kind, kind of a, a blind audition. You know, they sent me repertoire uh, to conduct and they said, uh, you're you're one of two people. They didn't reveal to me who the other person was. I never saw that person. I don't even know who they were. Uh, and I, you know, involved uh, really interviews over three days. Uh, mm. And it was it was pretty intense. Uh, and, you know, and on the other side were the orchestral auditions, which, you know, Jeff and I had talked about in the, in the previous podcast, they were, they were pretty normal, uh, for orchestral auditions and it all kind of happened at the same time. Uh, and the, so yeah, it's, it, it's a, it's a, a pretty intense workout at the Atlanta symphony. Uh, I remember talking to probably five or six different aspects of the organization uh within just a couple of days actually and uh really it's it's a it's a gauntlet that you go through you know uh, yeah one one of the things that also um that i i was doing while i was auditioning out here over a period of of two weeks yeah, was uh, they had me speak with a journalist. They wanted to see how I was with speaking and being interviewed. Right. They um, also put together a donor event so that I could speak to um, all the the donors of the Longmont Symphony. Wow. And uh, and yeah. they wanted to see how I interacted with all of the different donors and could I speak to them and could I speak to them about things like ranching and could I speak to them about things like visual art and you know, religion and all kinds of things. How did I navigate all of these different topics that people were, were sort of putting in front of me? And um, and interestingly, I, I only learned about this after, and, and um, Jeff, I know you know this about me. Gabe, I don't know if you know this about me, but um, yeah. I, I'm very, um, oh, I don't know. 
I, first of all, I love shopping. That's one thing I suppose that my wife and I have in common. I love to shop. And so one of the things I did was I walked almost up and down Main Street here in Longmont and I would just go into all the different shops. And because I am who I am, I would meet the shop owners and would start chatting. And, and I would mention that I was conducting the Longmont Symphony. We had a concert coming up. And, and it wasn't that I was systematically going into you know each shop or anything. I was just honestly out looking at you know commerce in Longmont and interested about it and interested in people's lives. And, and that got around actually that I was doing that. Um, and at the end of the day, when they were, it came down between me and uh, somebody who's a little bit more local. And one of the things that the board kept talking about was, well, yes, this other person is local, except Elliot was going into all of these shops talking about music. And what if we actually had a conductor doing that? And of course that, again, this was just me being me, but it was really interesting for me to learn that that was one of the things that actually stood out was that I was taking an interest in everyone else's lives and talking to all of these business owners and making the Longmont Symphony more relevant by doing so. Uh, that I, I never expected that that would come up in a board conversation about why I could be a good music director. I gotta be honest, but it did. Well, that's, that's a perfect example of you being your authentic self and that uh, just doing that paying some dividends. That's yeah. Cool. So, so you have your orchestra, you're leading your community, and then about 12 months ago, the world changed and everything had to stop or just be different. Elliot, what's the last year been like for you and the orchestra? Oh boy, what a, what a change the world has, has um, undergone. Actually, first, Jeff, I thought you meant the birth of my daughter. So the, <laughs> my world changed first with that. Yeah. And then, of course, COVID hit. So, um, wow. so in, you know, we, we canceled all of our concerts beginning essentially, you know, March. Uh, I don't know. It was around. We were supposed to have a performance in early April. That was the first performance that got canceled. Um, and then, of course, everything else was, you know, canceled from there on. And then we got into the summer months. And I think that that's where I started thinking to myself, OK, how do we do this? Right. I, my the, the goal is to transform our community through music and also to give people to give our community access to music and to the musicians who are making the music. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, how do I how do I give people access to music and musicians when we can't do this live? And so what I started thinking about was, OK, well, obviously there are, you know, things like Zoom at the time I was thinking Skype, but, um, you know, or FaceTime or something like that. We obviously have television. You know, these are these are ways of, of bringing music to people. And so I, I, at first, what I started doing was thinking about children, right? What do the poor children who, you know, don't have orchestra class anymore, what are they going to be doing for their schooling? So I created these videos that were f to help them learn. And, and by the way, some of the students, and I, I know about this certainly from, you know, our region, they weren't able to have their instruments. They left their instruments at the school and they couldn't get back into school to get their instruments. And so they were without their instruments. And so I'm thinking, oh, well, what are these poor kids gonna do? So I made these conducting tutorials so that they could at least 
be hearing good, interesting music, and they could be learning about different patterns so that when they went back to school, they would know sort of better how to follow their orchestra teacher. That was kind of my, my goal. And uh, so I created those, those and put them, I think, up on YouTube. And then that got my wheels turning even more. Okay, well, if I can do these short little videos, what else can either I do or can we do as an orchestra? So I had this idea, and, and sorry, the other thing that's critical was for us to be able to package and sell this because we have a bottom line as well and we need to be financially okay so that we can keep doing our job in the future when we come back from the pandemic. So my goal was to create something that could be sold as a subscription. So what we did was we created um, a season package where we had interspersed guest artists who would record a video and I would do something then live, a live exchange with them. Um, and we could have callers calling in live and have that sort of participation. So we could have a live element, but at the same time, um, because it was recorded, it would be a high level of, um, oh, what's the word? Um, you know, it would be put together well, right? Produ production? Um, production. Production value, thank you. Yeah, production value would be as high as we could, would, would, could have it. And then we would intersperse these guest artists with performances of, you know, very reduced string orchestra type things. And I got to say it, first of all, it sold. Um, everyone here was excited to have live elements with great, incredible guest artists. Um, I mean, the level of guest artists that we've had has been amazing. Of course, these guest artists have lost all kinds of money. So to be able to offer something to performing artists, you know, solo artists as well, who didn't have anything was, was great for us. Um, and again, it, it allowed us to stay relevant. It allowed us to actually sell subscriptions and make money that we needed in order to be able to make our comeback when, when, um, you know, we're able to, and, and it's just, it's actually been a really great thing. In fact, it's been so good. And we've had such a positive response that we're actually talking about continuing some of these elements when we come back, because particularly our guest artists um, element, people are just loving being able to call in, see these guest artists, see them in their homes. Yeah. There's a wonderful violinist. Her name is Caroline Campbell. Caroline plays with uh, Andrea Bocelli in front of 100,000 people. And, you know, this is like what she does. Right. And for our audience to be invited into her home, see her dog walking around as she's playing all these incredible things. Right. Um, you know, everyone's just, they're loving it. And, and it's a different element. And it, it is bringing music, making the music and the musicians available to our public. And I think that's a, a really critical thing that we were um, able to do and that people actually want. So, um, so that's been, that's been our experience on the one hand, I do get a little, you know, it makes me a little sad when I see some orchestras that, um, you know, they're doing all of this stuff for free, right? They're putting a lot of content out for free. Um, it makes me sad because they need the money, you know, hmm. but they're also in part doing it because they need to stay relevant. Right. And now things have opened up, but they weren't able to create the framework to sort of package and sell like we always do, right? Which is to say we, you know, all, almost all orchestras have subscriptions and subscription sales that count. Um, 
and so to, to sell one concert here, it's, you know, kind of these one offs and I don't think it would quite do so well, but, um, mm -hmm. I'm happy to see many more orchestras performing. That's great, obviously. And that this comeback, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel, but one of the things that was so important for the Longmont symphony was to be able to package it and sell it so that we can, you know, meet our bottom line. And what do you see the future of your symphony and even other symphonies looking like? Um, I, I want to give Gabe an opportunity to talk about the projects that he's working on. Are you planning a summer series? Are you are you planning a full season next year? What do so? Yeah. How do you do tickets when people can't sit next to each other? Like, how does all that work? So a couple of things. One is that um, when we had this kind of uh, virtual season we began with only the fall because we didn't know how well it was going to do. We didn't want to commit to a, you know, a fall and a spring season because what if it wasn't going well? So we only did a fall. And then when we saw that it was going really well, we said, oh, well, let's add a spring season. And then actually I said, but what if the pandemic isn't actually over, you know, by the start of fall uh, 2021? Why don't we, I don't want to lose audience members in the summer months. So how about we actually have a summer season, right? Hmm. So we did a spring and summer season so that we wouldn't have that kind of lull in the summer that we you know, generally have. Um, and now our plan is to come back, um, you know, essentially a normal season starting in the fall. But if things change, we haven't lost all of our audience members during the course of the summer months where they say, oh, you know, I don't want to renew or there's been nothing going on, so we're not going to renew. So that was actually one of the ways that I, I kind of, I don't want to say got around it, but in case we're not able to come back in fall 2021, we now have everyone sort of habituated to, okay, we can still watch these concerts and they're still great and we still have a lot of fun um, in a virtual type setting. How does that affect your relationship with the musicians? I would assume that the smaller the orchestra, you know, your your violins, violas, and cellos are always working, but you might not always need the tuba player. Does that change, you, you know, some, some poor person or 20 some poor people haven't worked because you're doing smaller? It's, first of all, Jeff, it, it's the right question to ask. Um, so when we, again, had some success, in the fall, and then we're creating the spring and summer season. That was exactly what was on my mind. And so we started the spring sum, summer season. We started in um, with, a, with an orchestra concert in February. And then in April, we added winds. And then in June, we're adding the entire orchestra. So uh, the, for us, actually, the harder thing, which is, by the way, part of the reason I want to build a concert hall, is that there's no space that we have access to, especially during the time of COVID, that we can fit everyone, right? And so we had to be very creative with how do we actually fit a full orchestra with tubas and full winds? Um, how do we do that? Uh, where do we do that actually? Yeah. And so that's been a bit of a challenge. And, but also I knew that if I spaced these concerts out with growth in the orchestra, so in other words, just strings, adding some wins, then adding the full orchestra. I knew that um, that would give us as an organization time to figure out how we actually accomplish each one. And and we're doing it. And we're going to be performing um, Bordin's Polovitsian Dances alongside Mendelssohn's Reformation Symphony. And actually, 
fantastically, we have a church, which I think is going to be awesome to perform a Reformation Symphony and that's going to work really, really well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how, and also what I said to myself is, okay, even though, you know, the tubist is not going to be performing in the February performance, they're going to be looking forward to our upcoming performances that actually do include them. And they're going to see that we have not forgotten about them. And, um, and that we're, we are going to be using them, you know? So I think that was an important part of this whole thing was including everybody as much as we possibly could. Awesome. Gabriel, what was your experience? Yeah, so, uh, you know, people ask me, you know, what did you do during the pandemic? Um, I, uh, you know, I started a YouTube channel and I, uh, and a podcast as well as a youth symphony um, here called the Ogden Camerata. And, and similarly to you, my what was foremost in my mind was the realization that all of these very talented kids were probably not even going to get orchestra in their schools. And, uh, and you know, the thought, you know, there were the, the major youth symphonies here that were, you know, it wasn't sure whether or not they were going to get together at all. And so uh, they, you know, I just decided that, you know, probably the best thing uh, for them and for the community is if I start something that, uh, you know, we're capable of getting together um, and we'll keep everybody safe. And yet we're still able to have a weekly rehearsal. And so the answer during the summer at, at pretty much the same time as, as you, Elliot, um, became uh, the Ogden Camerata, um, which is a strings only orchestra. Um, it's, as you said, a really, really big challenge to be able to include winds in there. So I actually just skipped over that and, and just said strings. And uh, we got together. Um, everybody um, has a mask on for the entire rehearsal. Everybody is six feet apart on their own stand. And you know, people were saying, well, how are you going to get them to play together? And I said, well, actually, that's kind of like the scrambled orchestra idea. And it just makes it uh, that much more uh, of a challenge for the string players to play together, but educationally, it's extremely sound. So we, you know, we just decided to, uh, you know, continue, and we've we've performed two concerts uh, so far this year. The audience members were all um, were were all socially distanced as well as masked. Every single time the kids came in, um, I took their temperature and you know made sure that nobody was sick coming coming in and uh knock on wood uh we haven't had a single member uh get sick all year uh and we've been able to get together every single week and it's been so incredibly rewarding uh for the kids 
So guys, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you guys for subscribing here to the Art of Listening podcast. Before we end up today, I want to talk a little bit about branding, marketing in the world of musicians. Um, Elliot, you have an amazing uh, social media presence. Your website looks good. And of course, I'm a subscriber to that amazing mailing list that comes out. Talk to us a little bit about uh, your philosophy on things like web design, social media, getting yourself out there there um do you do it yourself who helps you out and 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 what goes into the these days to marketing yourself as a conductor well a couple of things one i don't do all of that myself i obviously do a tremendous amount of the writing um you know i have a tv show called music and more um that i film myself um and and uh, you know do write the scripts and all of that that's all things that i do myself but uh, there is somebody that helps me. His name is Jonathan Eifert, and he helps uh, with my website, but not just uh, with my website, but with um, how I can, um, you know, have my TV show easily accessible on what platforms work, how to capture some email addresses through the TV show so that, um, you know, people are, are more likely to read, let's say, the emails that, that I write. Um, and, and I think it's very important actually to not just be on Facebook, but to also be on Twitter and to also be on Instagram, but not just to be on social media, but also to, you know, have a TV show that is on Vimeo or to also have a podcast. Um, and, and, and furthermore, to also be sending out emails because some people, you know, they're not on social media or they're not so interested in watching a music show, but in other words, to have an e-blast that people get into their email inbox. All of these different ways of, of contacting people um, are, are important. And, and I think that on the one hand, you can repeat a lot of the same things um, because you know people don't always get it the first time, but at the same time, um, you need to be consistent with it. So, um, you know, my, my email uh, is sent out approximately once a month. And I have to admit, it's something I put quite a bit of thought into because, um, you know, I want people to sort of see, and this is, you know, the word you were using, sort of my brand, who am I? Right. And, and I think that, you know, a leader in music uh, is, is um, at least what I, what I attempt to, to, you know, sort of portray myself as. But that's because, you know, I want to build a concert hall. I want to make music accessible to children. I want to, um, you know, talk about um, how, you know, race in music uh, is, is an important conversation for us to be having. And what as conductors do we do about those kinds of things? How do we lift up diverse um, audiences and diverse voices in classical music? All of these kind of you know, trends that are going on in music are, are things that I think are are um, important to be addressing right now. So um, those are at least some of my initial thoughts. Um, I'm curious to know, Gabriel, what you think. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, we were talking a little bit uh, about this. Jeff was my conducting student. And uh, then the roles began to reverse when I came to him and I said, you know, I'm, I'm interested in starting a YouTube channel. Um, and, you know, developing my website. And uh, he said, okay, well, what about the podcast? 
And I said, hmm, okay, yeah, that would be fun. And he said, oh, and what about all of this? And what about the, you know, the, the newsletter? And what about, and, and, and I said, okay. And, and, you know, learned a whole lot um, over the last year. So Jeff um, has been one of, one of my people. I think, I think it's important for everybody to understand that you can do this yourself. Um, but if you actually want to study scores and practice the violin, then you're going to need a team of, of people. And I, I also have a marketing consultant who helps me out with social media and, and things like that. And uh, it's, it, it's, it's a, a whole thing to get out there in social media. It is in many aspects. I would say a lot simpler than <laughs> I hate to say it the old days, um, but uh, in in other ways, it's just become much much more of a, a complex uh, worldwide web, as they like to say. Sure, sure. Yeah, there 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 is. I, I certainly agree that if you value your study time, yeah. um, it's it's worth um, engaging somebody else to to help you put all of these things together. Um, because, you know, because I think, first of all, we have something to say, we have something to say musically, but we also have something to say in terms of the, the industry of music, um, and of course, conducting as well. So how one navigates those, those, um, different aspects of, of conducting, I think if you, again, if you want to have time to study scores and to really delve into the music, you do need somebody's help. That's certainly been my experience. And, and it was certainly the case that, that Jeff, uh, one of the first questions he asked is, who are you? What are you going to say? What's your brand? Right. And the, the interesting thing, I've had several conversations um, about this uh, on several different platforms about branding. And, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of a, I don't want to say a negative connotation that goes along with that, but I, you know, there, I, let, let me just say that, you know, I think there are many people that uh, do craft their brand inauthentically. And that's something that uh, a lot of people can, some, some people can recognize instantly and other people just recognize, um, you know, in their subconscious and, What's really important is for you to be confronted and and say to yourself or have somebody else in my particular case uh, say, who are you and why should the audience be interested in you? And if you focus on that uh, and you create your brand from from that sense, then that's probably one of the most important things you can do. There's no doubt. I, you know, one of the, the first exercises I ever did, um, sort of along these lines was, um, to come up with a mission statement. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, my gosh, I put so, I, you know, I feel like I only worked on that for like three days straight. Same here. And, exactly. The and, same. and I had somebody helping me with it who I think was, was, um, you know, just a phenomenal, um, helper at, crafting mission statements for organizations. Um, and then, you know, she was the one that gave me the idea, well, you can also do this on a, you know, personally for yourself. And I thought, wow, 
And I have to say that really becoming specific and intentional about what my mission is, um, is has helped me. It's helped the Longmont Symphony because, you know, in some ways, I mean, I, well, not in some ways, I truly, I am the face of, of the orchestra, but to then put who I am as a, as an artist and to combine that with the Longmont Symphony, all of a sudden there's this synergy of, okay, the Longmont Symphony, you know, they, they want to do this. I am doing this and we can connect these things and boom, you know, it's, it's a very powerful kind of thing. So that would be the first step that I would sort of recommend to anyone would be to create a mission statement um, about who they are as an artist. So very important thing. Does it start with I am committed to just making sure? You know, I, I'm trying to remember actually. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think it is. I think it's I envision a world where. That's actually how it begins is I envision a world where. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it, it, it's interesting because, uh, you know, uh, again, marketing is is you know something you know that that you have to do in order to you know get the word out there so the first piece of business is to make sure that your message is as authentic as yourself and so figuring yeah. out yourself is there i think we, we would all like in, in some ways to not have to deal with this you know yeah um i think that we would like to place the art 100 percent on the pedestal um, and that we don't need to worry with social media and, and whatnot. But I don't think that that's the world that we live in anymore. No. I think that, it, I think that uh, it's now more critical than ever to be doing those kinds of things while still putting the music on the pedestal. You know, it's, we have to do both at the same time. Like we do so many conducting things, you know, listen and, you know, stay in time. <laughs> totally agreed. Totally agreed. Speaking of social media, Elliot, I know you've got some great things going on. Tell us a little bit about where we can find you and uh, follow you and the Longmont Symphony. Sure. Um, I, well, the Longmont Symphony is at, uh, it, it, let's see, longmontsymphony.org. And also, um, I think my my social media is uh, Elliot Conductor. I think that's my Twitter handle. And Elliot Moore, E-L-L-I-O-T-M-O-O-R-E, is my uh, professional page um, on Facebook. But also, I have a TV show, which is called um, Music and More, spelled M-O-O-R-E. And you can find that on my website, which is um, www.elliotmore.com. And just so that everyone knows, it's not just a super serious TV show uh, about music, um, but I always have like moments of lightness in it and comedy. Um, I will take several questions. Um, there's a thing that I do, which is there's a character that I kind of created during the pandemic um, called Herr Beethoven, H-E-R-R, -R, and sometimes H-A-I-R, Beethoven. Uh, sometimes he goes and he gets a haircut because his wig is so terrible. Um, and, and one of the, actually what it allowed me to do as somebody who has a TV show is to actually have dialogue. So Herr Beethoven will, will sort of talk over here and then I'll cut to, to me, like reacting to Herr Beethoven being all nervous cause I'm speaking to, to Beethoven and then Beethoven, you know, tells me more things and then I cut to, you know, me, my reaction to it. 
So uh, it's been a lot of fun. Everyone here in Longmont loves it. I, I don't know if anyone else even watches the show, but uh, but it, it's a lot of fun to have conversation when you know you don't have masks on and and you can have some back and forth in a TV show. So um, anyway, it's a lot of fun. Again, uh, musicandmore.com is the uh, is the show. So. We will certainly make sure that we have links to that and everything in our show notes. Elliot, it, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thanks for coming on. It's great to catch up with you and continued successes with everything for you, your family, your new family, and of course, the Longmont Symphony. Well, thank you so much. It's just been a real uh, pleasure chatting with both of you. Gabriel, it's nice to meet you, a fellow Madomic alumni. Yeah. And Jeff, of course, it's great chatting with you as always. So thank you for having me on the show. You know, Gabe, Elliot is just an amazing guy, great conductor, and it was so nice to have him on. I learned so much more, and of course, it was nice to do another walk back and, and just remind myself of all the great things that we did up in Maine at Madomic. What did you learn today from our interview? Oh, just just how much we have in common as conductors and people, um, you know, especially when we're connected through the conductors retreat. There were so many similarities uh, to our stories. I kept on you. You heard me. I kept on, you know, going back and saying, yeah, it was just the, you know, similar thought process as Elliot. It's really great to connect to people in which you have so much in common. And that wraps up this episode of The Art of Listening, a podcast all about classical music, conducting composition, the business of music, and how to listen to it all. On behalf of Gabriel Gordon, my name is Jeff Bradbury. Enjoy the music.